0: You're listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. And if you'd like to contact us, the email is rdgable at yahoo.com, social media, facebook.com forward slash Teachings, and our website, www.thesecretteachings.info, where you can find our full show archive, our montage archive, my books, and top news stories. We link up some of the best stories of the week on the website. You can also check out the network website, fringe.fm. That's fringe.fm or thefringe.fm. All the links are on our website, and our promotion for the show is on Facebook. And if you don't see it on Facebook, sometimes our posts are throttled back, and they don't get seen by uh, the number of people they should be seen from. So I try to use certain keywords that won't get censored. It's a lot easier when you do a show like Tonight, where I'm going to share with you probably close to a dozen bizarre stories about creatures that don't seem to fit into our reality. Last Monday we did a cryptozoology show about mystical, mythical, cryptid, crypty creatures, you know, I played around with those words for the title. And we looked at your Loch Ness monster, your Bigfoot, Sasquatch, ape-man, Yeti, or down in places like Florida they they call the Bigfoot character. They call it the Skunk Ape. We looked at the Chupacabra, we looked at Mothman, the Braxton Monster, and uh, even the Grafton Monster, all three of those coming out of West Virginia, famously. Mothman's also been seen in Chicago and other places. And it's, it's interesting, when you look at a book on animals or a book on birds, something like that, even if it's a kid's book, most of us have never seen a majority you know, of the animals in those books. I have a bird book, and this thing's probably 2,000 pages. It's huge. And I've probably seen maybe, maybe, you know, a percent, 2%, percent maybe, of the birds in this book at least in real life. I might have seen something online, right? But I've never seen them for real. So some people may argue that you can't say that something is real unless you've seen it or unless you have documented evidence of it. Now, obviously, all the books that I have on birds and a few I have on animals, I don't have a lot. I think my son has more books on animals than I do. I've never seen, you know, most of the like. I've never seen a, uh, like, I mean, I've seen like a giraffe up close. I've seen like an elephant at a, you know, zoo or circus or something when I was really young. But I, I I've never seen, you know, a, a mass majority of the birds that are in the bird book I have. I've never seen them. Most people have never seen a flamingo. I mean, I've only. I, I lived in West Virginia. I've only seen a cardinal twice in my life. This idea that we have to see it for it to be real I think is a very loose idea and a lot of us are more comfortable with something being documented. If it's in a book, we have pictures and video. But why is it that a picture or a video of uh, a seemingly rare animal or a seemingly rare bird is considered acceptable, but a video or a photograph, blurry or otherwise, of a Loch Ness monster or a Bigfoot or of a Jersey devil or of a tiny humanoid or a bizarre-looking insect or a strange fish that was caught. You see those stories in the news a lot. Fisherman catches, you know, bizarre shark or bizarre fish or something that looks like something else. Why is it that those types of things are considered to be fringe? It's only because of the way in which we, we frame and paint our reality and, and what we allow to be considered acceptable. The New York Times reported on the 1st of March, and I thought this was really fascinating. I didn't see this article until this weekend, or we would have talked about it on the 1st of March when we did our crypto show last week, cryptozoology show. The black-browed babbler, a bird well-known in Indonesia, this bird was considered extinct. It wasn't seen for 170 years, and then suddenly, like that, it appeared in an Indonesian forest. So, these black-browed babblers, which were first described in the 1850s, were thought to have been extinct, or they died out, they, they weren't in existence anymore. However, they were in existence. We just never saw them. So it's funny that a bird can become extinct when we don't see it and then risen from the dead when we find one. What if that bird that the New York Times published a picture of, what if that bird was the only bird left? What if that was the, that, the last black-browed babbler bird in the world? And it was in Indonesia. The last one. But we've now resurrected this bird. This bird is now considered non-extinct. It's now considered to exist because we found one. And ornithologists who first described the bird in the 1850s, was even in the 1850s misidentified as per where it, it came from. It was mislabeled as having come from the island of Java rather than Borneo, which stimmied early attempts to locate additional black-browed babblers. I thought that that was an interesting line in the New York Times article, which if you want to look it up is This bird wasn't seen for 170 years because it shows us not that, you know, to demean or discredit or something like human, you know, scientific investigation. But the idea that if we can't see it, we haven't identified it, it doesn't exist. Like I understand needing evidence. I understand needing photographs and video and hair samples and feathers and, you know, fecal material and blood and bones and whatever you... I understand having all that. Like that's how we confirm that something's real. If we just believed anything, then you know there'd be all kinds of creatures that we would manifest. And and to some extent, we've done that as as a collective species, as a collective humanity, as a collective civilization. I think what demeans science is cutting off and having this hard line between what is real and what is not real, based on evidence it's it's like bureaucratic it's arbitrary because in the 1850s when ornithologists first found this bird they didn't know what island it came from and they couldn't find more of it so because of that it became kind of this like rare bird and for 170 years people didn't think it existed but magically they found one in indonesia I think that's pretty important. I think that's pretty significant. You might think, that's a bird, Ryan. I want to know about Bigfoot. I want to know about his toes. I want to know about if there's toe jam. I want to know about his fingernails and his toenails. I want to know about the Bigfoot kids. I want to know about why Bigfoot throws rocks at me. Okay, well, if you want to know about Bigfoot and you want to know about the Loch Ness Monster and you want to know about all these other cryptids and all these other bizarre stories, paranormal experiences, ghosts, spectral phenomena, you want to know about all that. I'm just taking another approach to get there. I'm saying that we're looking at the method by which we identify and classify creatures. And I'm not by any means a cryptozoologist. I don't have an expertise in cryptozoology. I'm just using my my, my thinking Ability, critical thinking skills, if you will. I don't know if they're skills. They're just, it's like natural to think. And I'm and I'm 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 wondering if there aren't countless animals that we have classified as endangered that are very much alive and well today. And we've classified them as in extinct or even endangered because we just misidentified where they were from, where they were living. So we're looking in places where there aren't nests, where there isn't a habitat. I used to say this about um, extraterrestrials, right, or alien visitations. If you had a scout party of ETs, and they flew a flying saucer to Earth. And they only had a little bit of time. And then they had to go back to their their, their ship and go to another solar system. And these ETs, they, they flew down. And they're communicating, you know, like, kind of like Mars attacks. And they're looking at the Earth, and they only had like five minutes in Earth time and they were just kind of flying, you know, cruising, altitude cruising speed over the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean, chances are they would think that this is an ocean planet. Okay, just in the context with their perception of that amount of time and what they were witnessing, because most of the planet is water. If you took a child and you raised them in the middle of the desert, and they never left this village where you raised the child, And you told them this was the whole world. They would believe that the whole world was desert. There's no trees. There's no ocean. There's no mountains. This is deserts and dunes. It's perception. It's actually like that Shyamalan movie, The Village. Right? With the twist at the end. Perception. Now, this bird... I'm, I'm hammering on this bird. I think this bird is important. This is, a, this is a great example of why although science and zoology and all these other fields of study and the tools by which we study, although they classify and categorize and help us to create an understanding of the world around us, they're also very arbitrary and they need to be softened to Not only the possibility, but the probability that there are things that are, for lack of a better word, unidentifiable that are actually identifiable not by terms we can understand, but by terms we don't understand. In the sense that these are new creatures, these are new animals, these are new things that we didn't know existed. And I mean, hell, we're finding out that octopuses, we're finding out that bacteria, we're finding out that little tiny organisms have these unbelievable abilities that we otherwise would not think were possible. There's something called doomsday bacteria. And doomsday bacteria, Deinococcus radiodurans, can survive in radiation that is thousands of times more than what would kill most organisms. It was found in 1956 in a spoiled tin of meat, probably spam. Is spam meat? I don't know if it's even meat. Bacteria can also survive in space, according to Smithsonian Magazine, August 26, 2020 an experiment conducted on the International Space Station. they have also found living organic material on the ISS, naturally. And a scientist walking in Nova Scotia, I believe it was, a scientist from Dalhousie University, Yana Iglett, she found a whole new branch of microorganisms just by bending down and picking up some dirt on a trail in Nova Scotia. That's pretty incredible. That was a couple of years ago. And this bird that was thought extinct or just it didn't exist for 170 years magically just pops right back up in Indonesia. And now the bird exists again. The black browed babbler. It shows us that for all we think and all we do know about the world around us and what we've cataloged and categorized. There's still a lot more to know and dismissing sightings and videos and photographs because they don't fit into a certain narrative is just ignorant, lazy, and it's it's crazy. We're going to try to classify those things tonight here on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere. This is KTLK Digital
1: Broadcasting. The Fringe FM.
0: The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, montage archive, all of my digital books, and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the U.S., all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM.
3: Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality?
1: Do you question the nature of your reality? Join me, host Jess Rogie of The Rogie Report, as we find out more about the strange reality we live in. Here on the Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show. You can find me at Truth Frequency Radio or on my home website, www.kevbakershow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
3: The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK, digital broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
1: Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable.
0: It's March, the month of the spring equinox, OSTARA, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is David Ike and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. It's time you got acquainted with the
1: real hard truth.
3: This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. Did you hear that scientists recently discovered Radio waves coming from Proxima Centauri? Well, I cannot confirm nor deny we are broadcasting from that neck of the woods. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM.
0: From parapsychology to pop conspiracy and from parapolitics to health and esoterica, I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, and I'll bring you all of this and more five nights a week right here on The Fringe FM by using critical thinking and objectivity as keys to understanding, utilizing, and appreciating the secret teachings of all ages. You can catch The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM after Joe Rupe and Lighting the Void. This is Grammy-nominated recording artist Johnny Cobb. You're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. As most of you know, I am a bird enthusiast. But I'm, I'm a superficial bird enthusiast. I don't know a lot about birds. I just like birds. I like to look at birds. like to watch birds. like to play with birds. I'm not like an amateur bird watcher even. you know. I'm not like an amateur ornithologist. I don't really know a lot about birds. I just like birds. <laughs> so when I see a, a story about birds, I usually read it. I'm probably going to be that old guy who does watch birds. And I'm going to take, like, my grandkids to watch birds or something. I'm going to be that weird bird guy. But when I read a story about birds, it's usually just interesting. Like, oh, I didn't know that. I don't think a lot of people know that birds like crows, not only are they intelligent, I think that's common knowledge. But birds like crows... They hold funerals for dead crows. They reuse tools. They have little toolboxes, essentially. Birds, like crows, have an ability to remember faces and are capable of what scientists and other people call subjective experience or primary or sensory consciousness that had up until recently, in 2020, had been thought only to occur in humans and certain kinds of apes. But in fact, crows have demonstrated this type of consciousness. So crows are pretty incredible. And when I think we even did a show on crows or it was like a spirit animal show back in 2015, 16, when we were on dark matter, I did that show with my friend, uh, Mike D who used to, he still does once in a while co-host with us. And, uh, I think it was about spirit animals because he said his spirit animal was a crow and mine was. A, I said mine was a duck just because I like ducks. But I was reading this story about birds because I like birds and it really, really intrigued me and I wanted to share it with you tonight. It's from the New York Times and it actually came out the day last week that we did our cryptozoology show. I just missed it. And now I, I found it over the weekend just reading some news and I came across this story. And I want you to listen to this because it's really, really interesting. And I think that you'll enjoy it, especially if you're into cryptozoology. I know you want to get to the Bigfoots and the Loch Ness Monsters and the El Chupacabras, but you got to hold on a second. What might be Asia's longest missing bird just came out of hiding. For the first time in 170 years, researchers reported that a black-browed babbler has been found in Indonesia. The discovery of the muted black, gray, and chestnut-brown bird solves what an authoritative birding guide describes as, quote, one of the great enigmas of Indonesian ornithology, end quote. Ornithologists first described black-browed babblers, I like that name, by the way, that's mouthful, Black-browed babblers, black-browed babblers, black-browed babblers. Can you say that three times? They first discovered these black-browed babblers around 1850, following the collection of the one and only known species, or specimen of the species. The specimen was at first mislabeled as having come from the island of Java rather than Borneo, stymieing early attempts to locate additional black-browed babblers. But even after ornithologists cleared up the geographic mix-up, no one managed to find the bird. It has not helped that traditionally few birders and ornithologists have ventured to the Indonesian side of Borneo. So it's pretty simple to understand what they're saying. It's pretty clean and clear and cut. There's no political you know, overtones or undertones to this story. They're just saying that the bird was discovered in the 1850s and They had one uh, specimen of the species, and they mislabeled it originally. And they went to the place where they thought it was, and couldn't find it. And then they discovered, oh, it came from somewhere else. And not a lot of ornithologists and bird people go there, so they never really they never really found anything. Have you ever been out in the woods, you know, or you ever been on a boat? You ever been out in like the desert or something? You ever driven across country? You know, maybe it's different in some parts of the world, but I've driven across the United States a few times. I drove from the Southeast St. Pete, Florida, all the way up to the Northeast where Portland and Boise, Idaho are. And then I drove when I moved again from the Northwest. So I went Southeast Northwest and the Northwest down to the southwest into tucson arizona and then i crossed only for my son otherwise i would probably kill myself living here in new york i moved all the way up to the northeast and to this crappy state of new york so i've crisscrossed the country is the point i've also lived in uh, west virginia close to border of pennsylvania And in driving across the country, moving, or driving for a conference or a trip, I've driven through areas that are beyond desolate. Like, you don't want to get a flat tire. You want to make sure you've got a full tank of gas. Places where, if you're a truck driver listening, uh, if you're someone that likes to travel, you like to do road trips, you know, it's, it's fun, but you see those signs that are like, Make sure you got gas. There's no gas for like 150 miles. That's kind of scary. You know, it's a little nerve-wracking. It's also kind of exciting. Like, can I make it? Like that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer and the, the guy from the car dealership, they just kept pushing the car to see how far they could go on that tank of gas. You get to places and you see, like, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's just literally endless miles of desert, of forest, and there's nobody around. You rarely pass another car. You break down with no signal and no gas. you kind of bent over a barrel by nature a little bit, you know? Modern technology and satellites and all that stuff, you know, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it's, it's, that's part of the experience, though. My point is, uh, I went to see the eclipse a couple of years ago. And my friend Brad Olson, he drove up from San Francisco. We had Brad on the show a couple of weeks ago. And he came to Boise where I was living. We did a radio show. And he, he uh, was going to drive us out to see the eclipse. We went close to Yellowstone, but west of Yellowstone. And when we drove through southeastern Idaho, you know, you've got Atomic City, there—the first city to be ato- powered by atomic energy. There's a lot of history there, but I—I I never even heard of the place. Uh, the INL, the Idaho National Laboratory, is there. Never heard of that? One of the biggest national laboratories in the country. See, that's where the real stuff happens, okay, folks. That's not, its not like Area 51 today. That's where everybody's looking. Whatever was there, they probably moved it. Like, if you're talking about weird experiments, it's probably happening in Utah. It's probably, yeah, it's happening in Nevada. It's probably ha- happening at Oak Ridge. It's happening at, like, McDale Air Force Base. It's happening in places you just you don't think about a lot. So we went out there, and we're just driving. We went through Craters of the Moon, which is really cool. We stopped there. And, and Brad even mentioned it a couple weeks ago when he was on the show. He remembered it very well. He's like, yeah, Ryan, when we were driving out there, you said, like, the planet is not overpopulated. It's overcrowded. Look at all this open space. And if you think about that for a second, you just go out in the woods, or go out in the desert, take a drive, and you see that a lot of, a lot of where you're going, a lot of where you're, you're standing, you're driving, there's not much around. So if you have an endangered species or a rare, if you will, species, these are subjective terms in the sense that they're only endangered or they're only rare to humans you know they're only rare or endangered because we don't see them a lot or because we have some arbitrary classification system that determines that well since we don't see them a lot they must be close to disappearing now i'm i'm not suggesting that there isn't a widespread there aren't a, a widespread number of animals that are going extinct this isn't don't make this political please this isn't political what i'm saying is There's so much open space. There's so much open planet. Most of the planet's water. There's so much open planet. There's so much open space, open air. There's so much underground. You know, the planet we know is above ground. Most of the planet is underground. Like over 90-something percent of the planet's underground, right? The material, the physical material of the planet is under the ground that we walk on. We live on like a fingernail. So, on that basis alone, it's the question of if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? If a black-browed babbler is hanging out on an island, it's hanging out on uh, an island around Indonesia or wherever, And nobody's there to see it. Does it exist? If a bird chirps in a forest. And nobody is there to hear it. Does it make a sound? Can we so easily. Determine. That something doesn't exist anymore. Even though we've classified it. And quantified it. And put it into a bird guide. Just because we don't see it anymore. Well. It's not necessarily a negative thing or a conspiratorial cover-up. It's just like we don't see it, so we just classify it as rare or endangered, or we classify it as as something that is uh, it 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 might not exist, you know, anymore. It's you can call it extinct, I guess, but it just doesn't really exist. Maybe in the way we thought it existed. These are just the ways in which we try to understand and and catalog the world. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. So don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with the way that we catalog things. That's how we understand them. If we didn't catalog them, we'd probably think that there was you know, if we here's the thing, if we didn't catalog and you know, like me, if I was a if I was a zoologist or an ornithologist or something, if I didn't catalog and take a picture and have samples of a of a of a a red cardinal. Personally, I've only seen two in my life. I would think that it's extinct or rare because I've never seen the damn thing, you know. But I saw one in Florida once and I saw one in West Virginia once. I remember actually where I was in Florida. I was at the, uh, there was a, tar- there's a Target by St. Pete Beach where Outback Steakhouse is. Uh, there's like a Walmart there and a, there's like a Joe's Crab Shack or something. I grew up there. So this, this place is like very vivid in my memory still. And I remember being parked on the right side of Target when I was very young and I was in the, I was hanging out in the car by myself for a little bit. I think my mom went in to get something, maybe. I, I don't know what happened, but I was sitting there in the car, and I remember just seeing, I was watching a bird in the bush, and the bird popped out. It was a cardinal, just totally. Maybe it was like the official bird of Target, since it's red. But it's just like this bird popped out just totally randomly. I'd never seen a cardinal before. If I was classifying cardinals, I would say they're extinct or very rare, but they're not very rare or extinct. Cardinals are they're 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 pretty populated you know blue jays are pretty populated i've only seen a handful of blue jays in my life you might think well that's crazy ryan how have you only seen i just it depends on where you live doesn't it that's the kind of the point right if you live in a place where birds don't frequent of a certain kind of bird you live in new york state and you've always lived here and you never traveled and you never you've probably never seen a flamingo up close have you I've seen flamingos up close. I've gotten close enough to basically touch them. I've seen more flamingos than I've seen, you know, uh, uh, birds like, uh, uh, what's that bird? I saw a bird at the Boise Zoo. I can't remember what it was. This thing was like five foot tall, though. It's huge. I've only seen that at the zoo. I mean, see, cataloging, categorizing. I know that people have an issue with zoos. I don't particularly like zoos, but... Some zoos are kind of like habitats where animals are actually saved that otherwise might be killed or driven off of you know their natural habitat. I'm not saying zoos are great or not great, but they also the point is they help us to appreciate animals, uh, birds and uh, other even insects and maybe we won't be so apt to step on them or drive them off their land if we can create conscious awareness about it. So it is a double edged sort. In terms of circuses, I don't necessarily like a circus, but this isn't a, a question of morality or ethics. It's a question of perception. And if I'm cataloging birds and I'm cataloging mysterious creatures, and I've only I've only seen you know one two cardinals in my whole life, the thing's extinct to me. Okay, ornithologists, people that study them, people that live in areas where they have crows or they have you know flamingos or they have egrets or whatever they are you know, flat-billed anything. Geese, you know, I never seen so many geese until I moved to Boise. That city's basically populated by geese. They they crap all over the sidewalks. There's like thousands of geese. And it's like I've never seen that before. I didn't have tons of geese in Florida. When I was in Florida, we had ibises. You know, ibises would follow you down the street. We didn't have like a thousand geese didn't populate you know, the, the, the city park or something. There are geese. It's just you don't see them a lot. It's where you live, first of all. The people that go study this stuff and they go all over the world and they catalog birds, you get a bird book and they'll show you, you know, like the, the the migration patterns and where you're most likely to see them and their proportion to the human body, kind of like those dinosaur books. Birds basically are dinosaurs in a sense, they're reptilian. And You have all these classifications. that, Just like a zoo, it helps us to understand. So it's not a bad thing that we have a zoo. It's not a bad thing that we have a catalog of birds. What is unfortunate is that we classify the things that we only see a few of as being extinct or having been... Made rare. And there's a difference between rare and extinct. Although depending on the word choice. And the association. The definition. They kind of can mean the same thing. It's all a matter of. How we choose to perceive. And how we choose to catalog and categorize. So finding this black-browed babbler. After 170 years. This was just reported last week. March 1st, 2021. It has orthonologists and others kind of like me. They're kind of excited. I like birds. And see, this is the problem. This is my opinion within the industry of radio and what we do here on The Secret Teachings and The Fringe. And I can't speak for the whole network, but this is unfortunate. A lot of people want the buzzword. Okay. They want the, the Bigfoot story. All right. They want the the giant bird story. All right. And those are great stories. I love talking to cryptozoologists. I love reading. Uh, I have a book uh, by Gould, and I've I haven't read the whole thing, but I like reading little sections from it. I've got Linda Godfrey's books. I love Linda Godfrey. Uh, I love, you know, like it's very cheesy, but I like watching Monster Quest. Okay, you know, I I like watching monster movies and or like documentaries. I like Mothman, and I like that. I love that stuff. Mothman's is probably my favorite cryptid, but Those things are more exciting than a black-browed babbler. But the black-browed babbler can help us to understand Mothman. The black-browed babbler can help us to understand Bigfoot and the Jersey Devil and the El Chupacabra. This little tiny bird can help us to understand all those mysteries in nature. Not because it's a cryptid creature... But because it was thought to not exist because scientists miscategorized it, misclassified it, didn't identify where it actually lived, and nobody really goes to where it does live today, and so nobody saw the damn thing. You see what I mean? So, you know, there could be a Mothman nest in West Virginia, but if nobody ever went there, nobody knows about the Mothman nest. (laughs) I'm not saying there is a Mothman nest, okay? Don't spread that rumor. (laughs) What I'm saying is, it's a matter of your perception and how you see the world. It's a matter of... Of, of of the moment, where you are, the now. If I was to classify the world immediately around me, birds wouldn't exist at all. I see no birds out my window. It's a little dark, but I don't see any birds outside my window. Birds don't exist, you know? I don't see any animals. Animals must not exist either. I see no other humans. I must be like Robert Neville. I'm the last human on Earth. Okay, I'm being hyperbolic, but I think you get the point. I don't want you to think, and I don't think, that zoos are a bad thing or cataloging animals and insects and birds are a bad thing. No, that's how we understand and that's how we learn to appreciate and respect and to learn. That, that's, that's good. It's to be desired, I think. What's unfortunate is when we draw a line between what is considered acceptable and what's considered unacceptable. I mean, there are some birds that you have to shine a U, like a UV light on to see their to see what's really on their feathers, and you have to see the bird in the right condition to see what other birds see when they look at that bird. Like we don't even in our vision, our the wavelength that we see in. Birds see in different wavelengths. So birds that we look at and they look like and they look like one one thing or another, they look different to other birds. So even the things we can see aren't necessarily what we're seeing. And so when you put all this together, you start to at least I do, I start to think, okay, well, that clearly shows us there's no cryptozoologists right now that are really excited about the black browed babbler, but If you take a moment to read the story, you learn that all those cryptid creatures and all those mysterious sightings and, you know, something like that, these are better explained, not through some alternate field of cryptozoology, which is just a classification. It's just how we classify investigating things that don't exist or we don't think they exist or they might exist, might not exist. when we try to understand those other things, we're doing it with the same investigations that were used in 1850 in the sense that in 1850, these ornithologists they discovered this black-browed babbler bird and then they didn't see it for 150 years, so we thought it didn't exist. And then now I'm sure that people will report seeing the black-browed babbler more because now it's thought to exist. And if you apply that and you relate that to, like, Mothman or Sasquatch or the Jersey Devil or El Chupacabra or whatever, you find that there is not only a parallel, it's on the same line. When you have reports of Mothman in Chicago and you have, like, acceptable, confirmed mainstream media tongue-in-cheek reports, more people start to see Mothman more people start to see bigfoot more people start to manifest the reality in association with what they just watched or what they just heard or what they're interested in you start to manifest and see these things it doesn't mean that they're all a manifestation and they're all made up it just means that you're perceiving to see more of it because now it's been it's classified okay this is a possibility i've seen the evidence for it it's real it could possibly happen so since it can possibly happen, well, it must be happening. And if it's if it's happening, it must be all around us. It it must be happening all the time. These things are all around us. They're always happening and therefore the world that we think we know is a lot different than what it actually is. It's I, I I don't know. You do me a favor Type in birds, ultraviolet. And you will get articles and you'll see you know, videos of birds that see in an ultraviolet. And you'll see that when we look at those birds in ultraviolet, the birds look different in ultraviolet. So even what we can categorize, what we can catalog... It's different than even what we see with our own eyes. And that is, to me, just beyond fascinating. That redefines the world that we live in. And it's all just through eyesight, let alone re- un- reclassifying, recategorizing, opening those fields to cryptozoology and opening you know, astronomy to astrology and vice versa. This helps us to better understand the world around us. I'm Ryan Gable and this is The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. There's more after this. We're going to talk about all these bizarre reports around the world of tiny creatures and large insects and things that are out of place in comparison with what we would like to think is an otherwise natural and normal world. We'll be back Right here on The Fringe, The Secret Teachings, I'm Ryan Gable, don't go anywhere. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, somewhere between the normal and paranormal. A collection of question marks, no reason, no explanation, just a prolonged nightmare. Right here on The Fringe FM.
2: Do you like the secret teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover, with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana,
3: Hey, Fringe listeners, Dave Cruz here, reminding you that Beyond the Strange airs live Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Fringe FM. BTS is your one-stop shop for the paranormal, the bizarre, and most of all, the strange. Join me and co-host Black Sky Paranormals, Russ Bailey, as we discuss topics such as aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, and much more. Also, we talk with profound guests, authors, researchers from all over the world, and we take your calls live on the air. Go to BeyondTheStrange.com and learn more about the show, guests, times, free registration for our newsletter, merch, and much more. Again, that's Beyond The Strange, Monday evenings, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. And as always, stay strange. The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK, digital broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
0: The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, montage archive, all of my digital books and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the U.S., all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year, or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week, supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM.
3: Are you intrigued by Paranormal
1: Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts,
0: strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network
3: you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store.
0: Yo, hi there. It's Gigi from Shift Happens. Just stopping by to tell you to stop it. Stop that. Stop that thing that you're doing. And redirect all of your attention right directly back here. To the Fringe FM.
1: This is Jess Rogie, host of The Rogie Report, and you're listening to The Fringe FM, KTLK, digital broadcasting.
3: Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? Yeah. Do you really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhance improved sound quality, edit out those awkward pauses and slips, mix multiple clips and tracks, by volume, deliver consistent sound, live podcast production, show notes and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels and loudness, measure broadcast standards, full branding packages, logo design, podcast site, website, no artwork, video and audio production, gotta do video, or do you just want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting, audio and video production needs. Perhaps. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, a professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire.
2: The biggest thing is time. A lot of people that podcast don't have time. Time is is like a really valuable currency next to cost. It's even more important than money. Why waste your time doing all this stuff? This is what we can do for you. Think about like the hours and the money you're going to have to put into doing all this by yourself. Doesn't make sense. It's going to take you months to launch. If
3: we did it for you, we could do it tomorrow. Visit the fringe.fm, join our team and get jump started on your podcast today. Everything is awesome.
1: Everything is cool when you're part of a team.
0: It's March, the month of the spring equinox, Ostara, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Thanks again. Um, This is very refreshing, and I look forward to talking with you more soon, Ryan. Hey, this is Anthony Tyler,
1: author of Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, uh, website divemind.net, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable, my man. Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination, where happiness is an illusion, where the past, present, and future all coexist on the same timeline.
0: I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. There's a bird called Starling, and this bird, yes, we're talking about birds a little bit tonight. This bird is a songbird. It's a relatively small bird. And this bird, most of the... the, Asian, African species. They're all over the world. Most of these birds look kind of look kind of glossy. You know, they have some really cool feathers, different species. But if you take a bird's eye view, wink, wink, of these birds, and you look at them, the different sexes, you'll find that the sexes look identical, but they appear different under UV light. That's right. Birds look different. Some do. They look different under UV light. And birds can see in UV light. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not something that I think is common knowledge. And I think that if we consider that and we contemplate that, it suggests that much of the world around us that we have cataloged and categorized in relation to animals and insects. And further, in relation to the things we haven't fully cataloged, haven't fully categorized in terms of Bigfoots and Sasquatches and Yetis and Skunk Apes and El Chupacabra, we find that maybe those things aren't as fringe and aren't as cryptid, if you will, as we originally thought. Because even the things we do have hard evidence of are constantly changing. In Indonesia, I've been talking about this all night if you're just joining us, an, a bird called the black-browed babbler was just discovered for the first time in 170 years. orthonologists thought that the bird was gone. There's no more black-browed babbler. And they initially had mislabeled the specimen that they had of this bird as coming from the island of Java rather than Borneo, which prevented Ornithologists and bird people from identifying where the bird, you know, had nested and so that it could study it. And it was just because of a mislabeling that they thought the bird was gone. And when they finally fixed the label, they just didn't send a lot of people just didn't go there. Nobody sent researchers to, you know, check on this bird. It really wasn't exciting, but this bird is important. Like all the other animals or insects and things we think that are extinct because, it allows us to understand that because of a simple mislabeling, a simple misclassification, a whole bird can just vanish. Do you see the profound importance in that implication? Do you see that your interest in cryptid creatures can actually be greatly supported by acknowledging and by thinking that if scientists, ornithologists, bird watchers, if they have just made an accidental, they made an oops, they made a poo-poo, they made a mistake. And a whole bird disappears as a result. When they fix that mistake and they don't go and research it, this bird seems to be non-existent, but nobody cares about a black-browed babbler because it's on a Sasquatch. But Sasquatch... can be quantified because of the black-browed babbler. Sasquatch and the Yeti and all these other creatures can be quantified. They can be looked at. They can be categorized because we don't fully understand everything. That's pretty clear. We'll never understand everything. That's not the point in life to understand everything and be done with life. We're cataloging and categorizing things. That's the method by which we learn about the world around us. And that's there's nothing negative about that per se. And I don't even think zoos are necessarily negative. I just think, or that they're harmful. Uh, it depends on the zoo. But the point of a zoo and the point of cataloging birds and inse- insects is we, we have an understanding of our planet, an understanding of the world around us, and we can study it to better you know, appreciate and to observe it. You know, observe it for the appreciation of what it is and to appreciate what it is and help hopefully preserve it. It's like a little cycle. We appreciate to preserve, we preserve to appreciate. So, when you relate this to mysterious creatures, I had to spend, because I thought that it was necessary, I had to to spend, like, the first hour of tonight's show just laying that down. And I want to share some bizarre stories with you. Because I think these bizarre stories help us to understand through the lens of that black-browed babbler I've been babbling about all night, that things are not as they seem, and there's not a conspiracy or a cover-up involved here. It's just they're not as they seem because we're always discovering new things about things we already thought we knew about, and therefore it's absolutely preposterous to suggest that sometimes when we see, when we witness, when we think about something like a cryptid creature, that it can't exist because we can't identify it. We can't even identify the things we've identified. So how are we going to say that something doesn't exist because we haven't fully identified or quantified it yet? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, That's just dismissing things that are hard to figure out. That's like labeling a large portion of the natural world junk because you don't have the time or the will or the money or the, the concern or the care to investigate it. That's outrageous. It's it's outlandish. Okay, It's preposterous. Scientists in mid-February discovered a new giant fish species off of Japan's coast. Now, I could make a joke here <laughs> that it's not really a new fish species. It's a mutated fish from Fukushima, which let's Maybe have a moment of silence for that. Nobody wants to talk about that anymore because it's not cool. It's not fun. We're going to talk about letters of the alphabet and not billions and trillions of gallons of tritium-contaminated water being dumped into the ocean. But that's just forget I mentioned it. Fukushima doesn't matter. Uh, According to the National Ocean Service, more than 90% of the species living in the ocean are not classified. I'm going to say that again. According to the National Ocean Service, more than 90% of the species living in them are not yet classified. Okay, that means just what it says. 90% are not classified. So please explain to me how we can definitively say, usually through implication, that we have figured it all out when we have not classified roughly everything that lives in the ocean. We don't even know what most of the ocean looks like, for that matter. Okay? Okay. Finding a black-browed babbler in Indonesia is about as good as we can do, and I don't mean that in the sense that like humans are bad and gross and disgusting and ignorant and stupid. I just mean that in the sense like there's too much to label and identify, and it'll take generations and generations and generations as it has to even come to the conclusions we've come to today, to come to the catalogs and the books we've come to today. And there are just others that want to learn about things that are more difficult to identify. And so they write books and they do investigations and they interview witnesses and they try to figure out what some of these mysterious sightings are. And just because you see something mysterious doesn't mean it's a cryptid creature. In the same way that seeing a UFO doesn't mean you saw an alien spacecraft, you know? So the National Ocean Service is more than 90% of species living in the ocean are not classified. So scientists were kind of, you know, stunned, when they stumbled onto a what they call a toothy deep sea top predator off of Japan's coast a whole new giant fish they said it was an astonishing discovery of course now in this article it's an interview and it's between a uh, Dana Jacobson and Lucy Kraft and Jan Yid-Polson. And they're talking about how this this monster uh, is considered like a, a slick head, a fish that has a, a scale-free head. But this fish is kind of like uh, the, the photo that they had of it. It's kind of like a Loch Ness monster. That's what they even said in the article. Kind of like a Loch Ness monster. Okay, so let's say you had a photograph of this this thing. And it kind of looked like, you know, a monster. And it had never been classified before It's a new giant fish species off Japan's coast. You would think that this could develop a legend of a Loch Ness monster. It is a misidentification of something that exists. Now, I know people are upset because when you say that the Loch Ness Monster could actually be a giant eel or something like that, they well, no, I want it to be Nessie. I want it to be Big Blue. You know, I want it to be like Champy. Is it Champy-Chompy? I think it's Champy. Chompy, I don't know, something like that. I want it, I want it to be that. Well, it's like it is that. <laughs> that thing's real. It's just not the mythos of it, but it's real. And it's like scientists... Prove what cryptozoologists want to believe that it's real. They prove that it's real, but it's just not what the cryptozoologists thought. And then the cryptozoologists get pissy because you disproved what they wanted to believe in, even though you proved it. Now, not all cryptozoologists, of course, okay? Most cryptozoologists just identify and study these things, but I'm just saying the people that, more so like the the, the followers of cryptozoology, like they really want to prove like, I saw Chupacabra, I saw the Jersey Devil. I saw Mothman, I saw, you know, some kind of demonic entity. It's just off the coast of Japan, here's a big fish they didn't know existed. That was February of 2021. Now jump ahead to March. Uh, literally last week, the day after we did our cryptozoology show and The day after this article came out about the black-browed babbler, NBC News reported, and this is pretty cool, scientists discover giant luminous deep-sea predator, a shark that glows in the dark. Holy crap. And it was found apparently in New Zealand as part of three new shark species. Three, the study published in the Frontiers and Marine Science Journal explains how the kite fin shark, the black belly lantern shark and the southern lantern shark were found during a survey off the Chatham Rise, an oceanic area of New Zealand's east coast in January of 2020. So they found this thing last year and they're reporting on it now. The study that was published uh, that these sharks are glowing And the the, the kite fin shark is now the largest known luminous underwater creature. Okay, so let's just try to put that into perspective. (laughs) Can we put that into perspective, please? That within the last year, the largest luminous ocean creature has been discovered. It's a shark. And a giant new fish species was found off the coast of Japan. And an extinct bird that was thought to have been just missing, gone, disappeared, was rediscovered in Indonesia. Uh, Birds, sharks, and other types of fish just rediscovered in the last year. Oh, or discovered for the first time. Oh, oh, they actually exist. There are things that we don't know. Wow. Wow. Isn't that interesting to anybody? But no, I guess it's not Bigfoot so nobody cares. That's pretty important to me, I think, because that actually supports the narratives of Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and your classical cryptids. Unless you interpret cryptid to mean that it has to be some kind of like really really weird bizarre looking creature. And if that's the case, I guess that the, I guess these stories aren't that great. You know, they're not really that cool but there are a lot of like really cool things that we do have pictures and video of and that are kind of like cryptids i mean have you ever seen an anglerfish i mean this thing looks like it's something from an from an alien movie or something like this could be swimming in the waters of some alien planet the anglerfish is this very bony kind of uh, just, um, it, it looks like, it looks like something from Ghostbusters. Okay. And it has like this modified luminescent fin that lures fish to, to its mouth. I mean, <laughs> the angler fish, which you probably saw at first time I saw it was in finding Nemo. Uh, this fish which is classified under Lothilformis, which is like 1899, I think, is when they d- they classified this. This fish looks like something out of some alien movie. And it's considered one of the top 10 most dangerous fish. And it's on Earth. And to me... If you compare that to El Chupacabra, this thing looks weirder than El Chupacabra. This thing looks weirder than, than the Jersey Devil. But since we've fully cataloged it, we can put it in kids' movies. And it's like it's part of the natural ocean. All right? Giant luminous fish. Uh, be just shouldn't that be like the, there is so much going on in the world around us that the, the 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 kite fin shark is now the largest known luminous underwater creature nobody cares it's not a chupacabra now i'm not saying that if you like the chupacabra i love the stories of the chupacabra okay i love this i don't like bigfoot particularly but i love mothman mothman's like That's my cryptid, okay? I like Mothman. I like the Braxton Monster. I lived in West Virginia. Maybe that's why. But there are so many things that we can see and taste and touch and smell. There are things that we eat. I don't eat seafood. There are things that you eat that are just like alien. They're bizarre. Clams are weird, aren't they? I mean, think of the giant squid. Like, huge, enormous giant squid. That sounds very... That sounds very cryptid, doesn't it? Like, it's a very, it's like, you don't think that giant animals exist like that, but in fact, they They, they do exist. Um, and some of these things might be misclassified things that already exist. Like, when you have something like a giant cat, we consider those to be kind of cryptid, or cryptic in a way, if you will. But big cats routinely are found to not only exist, but to have harmed, to have killed uh, pets and other animals. Sometimes big cats go on killing sprees. I mean, you think of a big cat, you don't really think of a cryptid, but big cats, like big rare cats are in the cryptid category. I mean, if you go to Indonesia and you go to find the black-browed babbler, they have something there called the ahul. And it's kind of like it's kind of a it's kind of like demonic and it's kind of like uh mothman in a way. It's a winged creature and it's said to be a giant bat. That's how bird birdman that's how Mothman was originally described as a Birdman or a Batman, and in Indonesia they have the same story. They just don't call it Mothman. Big cats, big feet, <laughs> chupacabras—they kind of look like the Jersey Devil. You know, monsters that are probably more like, like dinosaurs. I mean, there's. There's something in Tanzania called the Mingwa. The Mingwa is this cat the size of a donkey and like with tabby cat stripes. There are so many different creatures and animals, and it's like, what? How can we just say that none of this stuff exists? A lot of cryptozoology is just a classifying an attempt to classify things that are really hard to find or things that maybe are non-existent. They're believed to be mythical, mystical, mythical. But even the things that we do know about, even the the birds and the, the sharks that we think we know about, you look at a bird under a UV light, it looks totally different. You look at sharks and the kite, Finn shark is now the largest known luminous underwater creature. They just they just discovered it. There it is. That's pretty cool, I think. And 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 I feel that when we study cryptozoology, or we, I don't know what what do you call it, practice cryptozoology, when we look at cryptozoology, we think of those things. I think we need to, if we really want to understand, this is my opinion. I think we need to bring more of science, if you will, into cryptozoology. And I don't mean that cryptozoologists don't investigate and they don't do exactly what scientists or orthologists would do if they're studying birds. They, they do. Cryptozoologists are usually very, very precise because they, they need to be. They don't have a lot of evidence. They just have a lot of uh, legend and lore and stories and witnesses, and sometimes they have evidence. I'm saying the community that dismisses cryptozoology, that community needs to be brought into cryptozoology. And cryptozoology is just another branch of zoology. It's cryptozoology. It's cryptid creatures. Because otherwise, if I would have told you yesterday that there are giant luminous sharks, you'd have been like, dude, you are so crazy. Why don't you just come back to reality? Okay? Why don't you just stop doing drugs and stop stop you know whatever you're doing that makes you think and makes you believe in these weird bizarre ocean creatures whatever you're doing stop it okay because th- look this is why you don't have any friends i'm not talking about me i'm just saying this is why you don't have any friends and it's why you you can't get laid and it's like dude there's a giant shark that is like bioluminescent it's officially now part of our catalog system of sharks and ocean creatures. Marine Science Journal explained it. The uh, kite fin shark. But if I told you that yesterday you wouldn't have believed me. Today I tell you and oh oh all oh, they acknowledge it. So it just becomes part of the part of the collective conscious now. And it's like, oh everybody knows that. But everybody doesn't know about the cryptic creatures and so that's why they're kind of mysterious and that's why people are still quick to dismiss them and it also breeds this idea that we don't really want some people don't want those things to be true because they're scary. And things that we don't understand are scary. And then once we understand them, it's like, oh, that's not scary anymore. It's okay. We can we can believe that. Oh, the black browed babbler, yeah, it's always existed. Oh, the luminous shark, yeah, it's always existed. A gi- giant new species of fish off Japan, of course. Scientists also found, did you hear about this? March 1st, last Monday. I really missed a lot of articles last Monday. Dinosaur found in Argentina could be the oldest titanosaur ever discovered. Enormous. Enormous. But we just, uh, we're too busy thinking about politics. I'm Ryan Gable. The world around us is pretty incredible. This is The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. If you want to support the show, you want to help what we do, you want to help us to produce this show, subscribe to the archive at thesecretteachings.info. You can do it through the website or use the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com you get access to the montages the show and all my digital books you can also buy my books separately on the website softcover and pdf occult arcana food philosophy the technological elixir www.thesecretteachings.info it supports us the network and you stay with us there's more after this right here on the secret teachings on the fringe fm
1: check out The Technological Elixir, Black Goo, Transhumanism, and Invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in soft cover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly,
0: it supports you. The Ides of March is the notorious midpoint of that month associated with the death of Julius Caesar and the settling of debts in ancient Rome. Otherwise, it's a joyous gateway into the spring. To celebrate the coming Equinox, The Secret Teachings is offering a one-year subscription to our show archive, montage archive, all of my digital books, and a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the US, all for only $50. If you prefer a monthly subscription only to the archives and digital books, it's also available. Either donate $50 one time for the year or establish reoccurring payments through PayPal on our website at thesecretteachings.info or through the PayPal email rdgable at yahoo.com. This offer can be used to extend a current subscription and is good around the world. Your support truly keeps us on air five nights a week supporting both The Secret Teachings and The Fringe FM.
2: They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then they, the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy.
0: It's March, the month of the spring equinox. OSTARA, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Want more of The Fringe? Check out
1: thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out The Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's The Fringe FM.
2: This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash
1: teachings. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings.
3: I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings.
0: Ryan Gable, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. You know, since a lot of people in the world of radio seem to be really obsessed with Bigfoot, I'm going to talk to you about something that I think uh, think can prove the existence of Bigfoot. It's called a kite fin shark, and it was discovered last year but just reported on by NBC News and published in the Marine Journal, a Marine Science Journal. It is the largest known luminous underwater creature in existence now. The largest known luminous underwater creature, the kite fin shark. Scientists also found two additional sharks that are luminous the black belly lantern shark and the southern lantern shark. Conducted, uh, They were conducting a survey off the Chatham Rise, an oceanic area of New Zealand's east coast in January 2020, and boom, they found these three sharks. Never seen them before. Researchers in Japan also found this really cool giant fish species, new species off the coast of Japan. I don't think it was Fukushima, but... And in Argentina, an enormous dinosaur was unearthed. Now, it's the oldest titanosaur ever discovered... Researchers at the country's National Scientific Council believe that the fossilized titanosaur roamed what is now Patagonia 140 million years ago at the start of the Cretaceous period. The new analysis would mean that the titanosaur, which is a diverse group of long-necked plant-eating dinosaurs, lived longer ago than previously thought. There you go again. Previously thought. We didn't know. We weren't sure, but there it is. The new analysis would mean that titanosaurs, a diverse group of these long necked uh, animals, these long necked uh, dinosaurs, were scarce because why? Well, they can't find a lot of them. I think that's ridiculous. You, you know, before they found this thing, they had no idea that it p- lived longer ago than they thought it lived. You know, these types of creatures. And then suddenly when they find it, they're like, oh, yeah, we, they're very scarce because we only found a couple of them. I mean, can, can, what, what is this conceit in archaeology? What is, what is this attitude by, like, you know, people that study the past? What is this, what is this attitude that they have? It doesn't exist. Well, here's, here it is. Oh, okay, it exists, but we now know everything about it. It's like, shut up. You know, get the hell out of here. It's really scarce. How do you know it's scarce? We don't find a lot of it. Okay, you also don't find a lot of certain creatures. It doesn't mean they're scarce. It just means you're not looking for them. If I go to, uh, you know, the Florida Keys, I'm not going to find penguins. It doesn't mean penguins don't exist. I mean just the, the conceit and the arrogance of archaeologists and of of other scientific fields it, it, it is so outlandish it, it's la- I mean, it's really laughable and it's an, it's, it's, it, it's embarrassing. Come on. Are you kidding me? Come on. Is that really how the the, 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 the scientific community should be operating? No, the scientific community is supposed to find things. They're supposed to analyze things and they're supposed to try to help us understand things. But the, just, I don't know. I'm irritated by that, by that comment. We didn't know it existed. We didn't know where it was. We only thought a few existed. We're not really sure about it, but here we found one. Oh great. Now we know everything about it. You don't know everything about it. You just found the damn thing. Anyway, I'm digressing. They found this titanosaur, huge, huge long neck in Argentina so there's a fun story for you to read that came out on March 1st the same day that the 170 year extinct black-browed babbler was found in Indonesia where it was announced it was found in Indonesia and uh, just uh, we didn't know where it was but it actually exists and there it is and it's it's now in the catalog so we know everything about it suddenly and there are things that are a little bit more bizarre a little bit more bizarre like an Australian woman I don't know if this photograph is real but an an Australian woman Pam Taylor photographed a moth that looked larger than a bird um, about the size of your hand uh, and there are there are a couple different photographs of it. It's very huge. It's a, I mean it's it's a real moth. Uh, they're pretty common in Australia apparently. Uh, they're behemoths, very large, but they're very rare. And there's a name for them. They're called Indoixia cinereus or ciner Cinerias. Indoexia cinereus. So it's a real moth, but it looks like a fake photo. Um, again, I don't know if these photos are real. I assume they are. They're just—it's a rare moth, and it's huge. Like it's a—it's like an infant. You could, you could hold this thing. It's huge, but it looks like something that you would see in like some weird movie about you know cryptid creatures, and these moths are attacking. Hey, look—it's Mothman. Another story came out about an Austra- another uh, Australian uh, cryptozoologist who claimed that he encountered a uh, a hobbit. Cryptozoologist Gary Opit knew about the myths of the mythical hobbit or the hairy man-like creature, and claims that he uh, came into contact with one of these hobbits. Now, obviously, a tiny little hairy. Man-like creature could be some kind of um, creature, like a like a like a monkey, <laughs> something like that, or it could be like uh, what, what are those things called? They're called like a gibbon. They're like a gibbon. They're just like a, part of the ape family. So that's probably what would explain that. But one of the weirdest stories that came out of uh, the internet was a woman who captured on video a small humanoid thing. Melissa Braham was out walking her dog in mid-February when she photographed a very strange thing what looked like a tiny little humanoid creature. Now, granted, this story was published on Unexplained-Mysteries, and it was linked up on Coast to Coast and others. That doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means... Um, people like to kind of exaggerate and they like to plant and make things up because it gets attention. Uh, To me, this thing looks fake. But see, this is what is a little bit, it's a little bit concerning to me because you have like, we can look at these pictures of little tiny alien creatures and hobbits and they can be explained by a gibbons or something like that. But what, what, what we don't do is we don't look at the giant luminous shark that was just discovered. Are you kidding me? We're looking and trying to determine, is this photograph of a weird little creature? Is this real? When in reality, there's new fish species being discovered. There's, new, there's giant luminous sharks that now the, the, the largest luminous ocean creature that we know about and uh, now uh, what appears to be the oldest ever titanosaur discovered from the Cretaceous period, and this was found in Argentina. And it's pretty big. It's a pretty big animal, pretty big dinosaur. And there's these giant moths in Australia, the Indoexia cinerarius moth, very rare. And there's photographs of this, and there's... There's evidence of all these things like it's there, it exists, but I guess it's because the photos of the hairy little hobbit dwarfs, whatever they're called little I know there's a difference, so don't panic. Uh, or of the little alien-like creatures. I mean I've seen those little alien creatures photographed before. it's probably staged and if it's not, I don't know what it is, I don't, is it a mini, is it a one foot tall alien? Probably not. you know, it's ridiculous. And while we're trying to, is this a real photograph? Oh, my God. Oh, it could be a one-foot-tall alien. Yeah, or it could be made up. Now, I understand the interest because it's mysterious. And it's the mystery that drives us to discover new things, the mystery that drives us to figure out what's going on in the world around us. That is what provokes the idea that we should have a zoo because a zoo would help us to preserve the mystery and preserve and allow people to come into contact with things they otherwise wouldn't come into contact with. And hopefully they gain a new perspective and they want to re- they want to respect and they want to preserve that natural world. That's the idea behind it. Exploitation is a different thing. The question of the morality of it is a different thing. Okay, I know vegans, that are ethical vegans get upset about that. I know people that don't like zoos in general because of the treatment of animals. Even if they eat meat, they get upset about it. That's fine. I under, I understand that, but what I don't understand, except the, the, the simple explanation, that's just human psychology. What I don't understand is somehow how we, we argue over, does this creature exist? Did someone see a chupacabra? And it's like I, I want to know about the Chupacabra. I want to know about the Jersey Devil. I love those stories. I love the X-Files. They did a story on both of those creatures or both those ideas. The Jersey Devil really wasn't it was like a humanoid, though it wasn't like this little bat like creature. But I want to know about those things. I love those stories. I, I like I love cryptozoology. I'll watch Monster Quest. <laughs> it's a little ridiculous, but I'll watch Monster Quest. You know, I'll read uh Crypto. I have like five cryptozoology books, like some really good ones. Got a really rare one, even with the uh, like the original plate in it, written by a uh, uh, Gould. Uh, I don't know how many years ago that was, hundred years ago or something. But I, I've got like originals. I got real, I got cool cryptozoology books. I like cryptozoology, and I'm suggesting that if you're interested in cryptozoology, the evidence for all the things that you're trying to prove and show that exist and the interest that you have, I think can be reinforced. By the black browed babbler, I think it can be reinforced by by this, this incredible uh, luminous shark. Three different kinds, actually, that were discovered off the coast of New Zealand, the black belly lanternfish, the southern lanternfish, and the kite fin shark. This is this is game-changing stuff. This is this is rewriting our understanding of the world that we live in. And when we dismiss it because it's not I mean, come on. It's not, uh, it's not Bigfoot. I mean, we just kind of lose some of the mystery. And Bigfoot takes on this, this whole new dimension. And it becomes its own classification. And I don't, I don't think that it should be its own classification. I, I don't think Bigfoot or the Loctus monster are anything more than, th- than both things that are unidentified, okay, things that are misidentified, and things that might just simply be figments of our imagination. And when scientists can prove that those things exist, it destroys the myth, it destroys the magic, it destroys the tourism, and a lot of people get upset. And I and I get it. I want the Loch Ness monster to be real too. I want Bigfoot to be real too. And When scientists suggest, professors and others suggest, there's no evidence. Well, that's wrong. There is evidence. What does the evidence say is a different story. When they suggest that those things aren't real because, oh, you're misclassifying, it doesn't matter what you classify it as. It's still something that exists. On Monday this week, I talked about the Fata Morgana. And it's based off of, what amounts to a story about a sorcerer sorceress who like the muses in greek myth she lures men to their death by creating these mirages on the water on the ocean and we talked about the superior mirages of light bending where you have cold and hot air air interacting and it pulls up things that are low into the into the atmosphere by reflection and it makes it look like ships are floating. And three of these ships were, well, three different instances, a total of, I think, five ships. One was three cruise ships. The other ones were individual, like cargo ships, were photographed. One was videoed floating in the air off of the coast of uh, the United Kingdom, different various different places. One was in Cornwall, southeast England, I think. Uh, Devon was another one. But we've also seen this happen in other places in the world. We've also seen it happen in China with floating cities. Now, when you look at the picture of the floating ship, the ship is levitating. And so there's mystery in that. Others will say, well, you know, they point their nose up in the air and, well, actually, it's a a phenomenon called superior mirage. And. You don't really understand this because you're a peon and I have a pocket protector and I have glasses and this is a ship that's, it's floating because of a, of a, of an optical illusion. It's like, shut up, asshole. Okay. You're explaining it in the same way that people who explained the flying Dutchman ship explained it in terms that are understandable to the modern day. That's all that you're doing. The difference is your optical illusions and your superior mirages will not be remembered in a thousand years, but the Flying Dutchman will. And yes, the Black-Browed-Babbler bird won't be remembered in a thousand years in the context with other cryptid creatures. It's not a cryptid creature. But Mothman will. The Braxton Monster will. My point is, you can explain things in scientific terms and all science is doing as a tool is just classifying and categorizing something that was unexplained. And my whole argument on Monday's show was bring together the scientists and the fringe. Bring, and there's a lot of scientists in the fringe. Bring together those two supposedly separate fields. When you combine the search for the black-browed babbler and the luminous sharks... With the search for Nessie and the Mothman, you will find common ground and you will find that the scientists were kind of wrong and the cryptozoologists were kind of wrong. And other than the interest in preserving a narrative, you will find the common ground in that you can prove that most of these cryptic creatures in some capacity exist. Some of them exist exactly like they're described. Whether they're mythical or mystical is a different story. But again, you think about how big planet Earth is in respect to a single human and how much of the planet we actually inhabit, which is a very, 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 very tiny piece. I don't care what the World Economic Forum or the IMF says, the planet is not overpopulated, it's grossly underpopulated. With unlimited resources essentially, we live on the surface. Most of the planet is underground. Right? So most of the plants underground. What kind of creatures could crawl up from the abyss? What kind of creatures could crawl up from the ocean? It is well acknowledged that 90%, according to the National Ocean Service, 90% of species living in the ocean are not classified yet. That's that's kind of astounding, isn't it? I read this article from the Houston Chronicle from the 4th of March, and it was similar to a story that we uh, we talked about on the 1st of March about El Chupacabra. And the headline from the Houston Chronicle, The Chupacabra Lives On in Texas Lore. It's our Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster. And I read the article and it just tells you, you know, about the Loch Ness Monster. And the thing is, and the Bigfoot and the Chupacabra, but the thing is, it's like, yes, in uh, in Texas lore and Latino culture, the Chupacabra is your Bigfoot. It is your Loch Ness Monster, in, in a sense. And what that tells us is that whether we're looking at the Chupacabra or we're looking at something like the Yeti or the Mingua or we're looking at the Jersey Devil, or we're looking at the Ehul. Every culture has their own version of these mysterious, strange creatures. And part of that is because people over the years have misidentified things that are otherwise easily, and have already been classified, easily classifiable. And as a result of that, Other people see things that aren't there, and they build this mythos around these creatures. Other times, there are things that are seen that just do not have any bearing. Like, they're just they all over the place. They don't make any sense. That's the mystery that drives the cryptozoology community to identify things that have yet to be identified. And when they've identified them, they pass it over to those who can classify it and put it into a category. What I don't like is when one side puts their nose in the air and says, no, Bigfoot's real. I know Bigfoot. I gave Bigfoot a bucket of chicken one time. I heard some guy say that on radio one time a long time ago. I gave him a bucket of chicken. Okay? I mean, last week, not the last weekend, but the weekend before last, if I would have told you I found a giant luminous shark and I found a a, a, a little tiny black-browed babbler... Orthoanalogists would be like, "No, it doesn't exist," and uh, people that study the ocean would be like, "No, that's impossible." And it's like, "Hey, asshole, it is possible." Okay, here it is. I mean, I just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's astounding to me how incredible the world really is in terms of all these, these wonderful new thing, new to us, new things that we're finding, new discoveries, new species, fish, sharks, freaking extinct birds we thought were gone. And we just kind of plow ahead with one-dimensional, rigid, narrow, arbitrary thinking, no, Bigfoot, 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 Bigfoot. How about take the blinders off, okay? There's all kinds of stuff around us. I'm not saying if you like Bigfoot, that's bad. I'm saying the idea that it's only one thing, that it's an argument between does Bigfoot exist or does Bigfoot not exist? And then my favorite is in the Bigfoot community, There's more argument in the community than there is in opposition to the Bigfoot community. First of all, I don't know how there's a Bigfoot community to begin with. Second of all, the Bigfoot community fights with itself. They say Bigfoot's really an interdimensional being. Others say Bigfoot's a flesh and blood creature. And then you get people that are like, like I've heard, you know, native speakers, like Native American speakers. I know a lot about the history and the tradition of of, of Bigfoot or skinwalkers or something like that, you know, the shapeshifters. And they'll tell you this: this is the history of, of of their people. And then you get these 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 frauds and these uh, a holes who are like, yeah, yeah. The the natives don't know what they're talking about, man. Okay, I had dinner with Bigfoot. All right, Bigfoot came into my house. He wiped his feet off. I had to get I had to get two floor mats because his feet were so big. He wiped his feet off. He was very courteous. We had dinner together, and then he went back in the woods, and then he threw a, a, a rock through my window. You know? I don't know what that was all about. I thought dinner was fine. This freaking thing threw a rock through my window. He, he was outside banging on the tree all night with a stick. He's not an interdimensional creature. He's just a, an ape with a bad attitude. It's like what are you talking? what are these people talking about? I have no idea. You know, that's the thing. I don't know what people are talking about half the time. I am so much I am so much disconnected from I guess reality. And I'm just kind of lost in this like la-la land of I kind of understand why mainstream humans think that you're nuts. I kind of get it. But I also kind of get why uh, the people that are considered nuts think that mainstream people are also kind of nuts. I get it because both are typically lacking perspective. Now, that doesn't mean I have perspective at all. It doesn't mean you have perspective if you listen to this show. I'm saying I'm aware of the contradiction and I'm aware of the, the nature of perception in that regard. And I'm trying to bring perception back. I'm trying to outline, you know, a thought process that will allow us to compare and contrast things that otherwise would not be compared and contrasted. Like, like, Nobody, I don't think, is comparing the black-browed babbler bird being rediscovered in Indonesia as having any relation to cryptozoology. And I don't know a lot of people that are using the... the, This new... Well, there's like three of them. These sharks that are the largest... Now the largest known ocean creature that's luminous. There it is, a big kite kitefish shark and <laughs> and for a second it, it sounded like i said kike fish <laughs> to be a jewish fish no it's not a jewish fish it is a regular it's a regular old luminous fish um not a kite fish it's a kite fish kite t kite fish it's a kite fish okay it's a kite fish not a kite fish it's a kite fish and the kitefish, it, it's a luminous. It's luminous. It, it lights up. I don't think a lot of people are comparing that to, like, Loch Ness Monster. Let me define cryptozoology real quick for you. The search for and study of animals whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated, such as the Loch Ness Monster and the Yeti. By that definition, the black browed babbler bird that I've been babbling about for the last two hours about falls into the category of cryptozoology. It's a bird whose existence or survival was disputed and unsubstantiated. I know that Mothman and, you know, Flatwoods Monster and the Grafton Monster in West Virginia, and I know that the Ahul in Indonesia and the, the Mingwa, you know, I, I understand that there are cool posters that you can get, and I, I have a I actually have a... A thing here in my studio, one of those dollar picture frames, and I've got like a bunch of cryptid images in it because I like—I really like cryptids. But we need to understand, I think, that if you really want to—if you want to, I guess a lot of people might not—but if you want to kind of sew together the the fracture between scientific communities and research, then you need to recognize that a simple bird or a simple shark are indeed cryptid creatures. Because if you were trying to find a giant luminescent shark based on a myth or a story or a bird that was thought to exist but no longer, people don't think it exists anymore, those are creatures whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated. Like, that's that's it. They're cryptid creatures. But yeah, I understand that Illuminous Shark ain't going to make it onto Monster Quest. I understand that the Black Browed Babbler will not be considered a pet to extraterrestrials in the next episode of Ancient Aliens. I get it. Okay, it's not fun. If all you're trying to have is fun, have fun. I think it's fun. But if you really want to break it down, eh, technically and by definition, uh, these sharks and hell, I mean, it's documented to exist, but this, these giant moths in Australia, the Indo-Ixia these things are basically cryptid creatures. There's your Mothman. And it's funny because Mothman is a really great example of how things change based on, you know, identifications and then misidentification, misidentifications and then people, uh, what they see later, what they manifest and what they misidentify later. Mothman was not a moth. Mothman was a bird man initially, and Mothman was also considered to be a bat man originally. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty cool. That shows us that the the evolution of these creatures. So, when someone says we've proven that the Loch Ness monster is not real, it was actually a giant eel. Well, you're still wrong. It's not an eel, and it's not a Loch Ness monster. It is. Something entirely different. It's not what you are classifying. I guess it isn't eel. What I mean is it, 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 you're classifying it as, oh, we understand what it is. Well, as soon as you understand what it is, you've now proven that the cryptozoologists were right. There was something to classify. You see? And you've actually proven, if you've dismissed it for a long time, you've proven that you were wrong. And now you've come to terms with reality that, oh, it is real. You see what I mean? In fact, researchers from the University of Otago back in 2017-18, they started doing this experiment at Loch Ness. They wanted to take all these samples from the lake and run it against the genetic database. And they said, if Loch Ness monster's in there, we'll find his DNA. And I thought at the beginning, I'm not a geneticist, but damn, man, if you don't have the DNA of the Loch Ness monster to begin with, how are you going to run it against a database of If you don't have it, you know, it's just ridiculous. So I remember reading that. And then a couple days ago into February, and we talked about this last Monday, the study uh, they they conducted, they found 500 million individual organisms in the lock, 3000 different species. And the most interesting thing they found, listen to this, is that. Seals and otters, which are well-known to live in and around the lock, were not detected in the DNA analysis. So something they knew existed was not detected by their analysis. So their analysis is not so accurate. They also found that all they claimed, oh yeah, Loch Ness Monster is probably a giant eel. They had a problem with their DNA analysis. 20% of the DNA collected was unexplained. That doesn't mean the Loctus monster exists as we think it exists. What it means is there's probably 20% of that DNA that comes from organisms that you've never identified or classified before and that we're not in your and or we're not in your genetic database. Shows you how much you can find with hard science. Now, that doesn't mean that we're demeaning hard science. What I'm saying is hard science is missing a lot of details and the missing details. Can be discovered by I don't know searching for them, and since a lot of scientists don't want to search for them, you have other people who are still scientists who do search for them. They just don't search for them with major, major university funding like these people from Otago. They search for them with their own money. They search for them with you know paranormal investigations, cryptid investigations, and they find things that it proves what the what the scientists are trying to disprove. And I say other scientists really is what I should say, because the people that invest, they're, they're all scientists to some degree. I mean, I'm a scientist. How dare you say? That's blasphemous. You don't have a degree. Actually, I do have a bachelor's degree in science, so shut up. You know, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. We have to play these word games, okay? Birds that we didn't think existed, are they're real. And sharks we didn't think existed, they're real. And giant titanosaurs are being discovered and giant moths. And then I'm supposed to sit here and and, and, and bend over and be told by the, the pocket... Pouch guy. It doesn't exist, you know, because they can't get their face out of a textbook, which is obviously limited in scope of what it can tell you. However, it can also tell you a lot of really great things, and catalogs and bird books can tell you some stuff. That's why we study it to begin with. We just shouldn't draw a line in the sand where we have a definitive. This or that doesn't exist because, well, I don't want to believe it. I mean, it's like, it, it, I don't know. Come on, man. That's what I think. That's what I think. Come on, man. It's a world of mystery. It's a world of, of, of powerful, interesting things. And we're finding new things every day that redefine our perception of reality and a lot of us aren't even introduced to those things because it's not, it's not profitable to do so. It's not profitable to talk about, you know, mysterious birds that are actually little black-browed babblers. That's not like a Mothman. Who know? What do you? What we, what nobody wants to know about the black-browed babbler. They want to know about a giant bird that eats kids. You know, <laughs> they want to know about the, the the shark with legs that gets out of the water and walks like Onis. That's what they want to know about, because that's cool. And if that's what you want to know about, that's cool. That's fine. I don't care. What I'm saying is, this is the secret teachings. I'm Ryan Gable, and I want to thank you all for listening tonight, listening to me babble on about these animals and these creatures. I hope I provided you with a a slightly different and new perspective on these things tonight. And I'm hoping that you'll email me and let me know what you think at rdgable at yahoo.com rdgable@yahoo.com, yahoo.com and I'm hoping that you'll subscribe to the archive you can find last week's cryptid show in the archive and our uh, cryptid montage I make a lot of montages you get access to that archive as well and all the digital books all at www.thesecretteachings.info donate or subscribe on the website to support the secret teachings to help keep us on air five nights a week it also supports the fringe fm fringe.fm and it supports you and i want to thank you all for listening tonight and sticking with us for all these years on the secret teachings broadcast stay safe stay informed stay healthy and uh you know look around look at the mystery in the world and Don't dismiss it or just accept it. Do your own investigation. We'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Time's up. Time may be up for tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings, but don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on The Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. To get in contact with us, you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay tuned to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.